I uh, want to thank the, your parents for letting us pour into your kids this week. We had a great time. That was awesome, all you kids who are still in here. You're singing a, a minute ago. That was, that was awesome, a lot of fun. Uh, we had a lot of, of, of just a great time uh, this week. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's a great time. Um, and as you can tell, the theme this year, submerge, submerge, right? That's what it was all about all week long, um, and so you had submarines, we got scuba gear, and all those sorts of things, and all the stories and illustrations that were used all week long were dealing with, you know, the ocean floor and marine animals, but when you think about, when you, when you think about it, regardless of whether you are, um, <clears throat> you know, into scuba or snorkeling, or just when you think about the ocean, you think about the beach, if you're just one of those People who, you know, goes to the beach and says you're going to read a book, but like two pages in, you fall asleep, you wake up sunburned, uh, and then head in. There's just something about the beach and the ocean that most everybody enjoys. Mo- most of There's some people who have a fear of it, but most everyone considers a day at the beach to be therapeutic. Just something about the waves, and everybody's going to be like getting out VRBO and looking up. They want to go to the beach now. But there's just something about the waves. There's something about the breeze that comes in the afternoon. Um, just something about going to the beach that's therapeutic. The sunsets, the food, the drinks, all these things. But there's something beyond just the, the tourist traps and all that that stands out to us, that kind of calls to us. I know for me, one of my favorite things to do when we're at the beach, and I don't get to do it as much now because we have kids and you can't leave them in the condo and go out, you know, by yourself, um, but is to have the opportunity to go out to the beach at night and walk on the beach. And I know for me, when I do that, you know, and you look out over the blackness of the ocean and just as far as you can see, there's just something in that of recognizing how immense that is, even in the Gulf let alone the Atlantic or the Pacific, how immense that is, and just thinking about that, and and then my insignificance and my tininess and how small I am in front of that. And there's just kind of something that's overwhelming about that and mesmerizing, and I don't know the adjective to put on it exactly, but there's just a a feeling as you sit there and think about that smallness of, of yourself and the immensity of what is in front of you and its vastness and, and, and the fact that it's untamable. And there's just this weird joy out of getting your smallness in light of something so big. You get the same feeling when you go to any you know major national park or anything, Yosemite in California, Yellowstone in Wyoming, the uh, glacier up in Montana, or even the Smokies here in Tennessee. There's just a weird joy that we get when we stand in the presence of things so much bigger than we are and just revel at the immensity of it, it the glory of it, and our smallness. There's a, there's a joy in that. And we know this to be true. But in our day in and our day out lives, we, we live out a myth that the way to, to find joy, the pathway to joy, is to get people to think much of us, to get people to esteem us, to get people to think that, that you know, just we, we base our identity and our worth and our validation on how we're perceived by people. Get them to applaud, get them to 
esteem us. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Tell me how awesome I am. And so we live out this myth that to be esteemed and to be popular and to be made much of is a pathway to joy, but it's an illusion. Because no one stands in front of the massive ocean to increase their self-esteem. That's not what happens on a night walk by the beach when you peer out over the vastness of the ocean. All right, It's not what happens. But we go there for joy. Even though it's not about our self-esteem. We don't stand in front of it and build our self-esteem. We stand in front of it and we're mesmerized and joyful at our smallness in light of something so big. And so how can that be if the pathway to joy being made much of is the center of our happiness? And the answer is it's not the center. It is a magnificent joy that comes from outside of us. It comes from outside of us. And when we get these feelings on the edge of the ocean or, or in the Smokies or whatever it may be, these feelings are a witness in our hearts that joy doesn't come from beholding a great self, but a great splendor. The greatest splendor of all is Christ, the one who made all of this. And so true joy in our lives that that we're searching for and that we're looking for is not beholding a great self, but beholding a great Savior. And so that's why in the 5th century, you've got a guy named Augustine. We know him as St. Augustine. And he writes, You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. Our hearts are restless. They're always Looking, they're always long, and there's what is purpose, where is until we rest in Christ. And so that's why we need to be and want to be completely submerged in the glory of God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and worshiping and enjoying Him and leading others to do the same. He, he, he is infinitely great. Like the ocean's awesome, but he made it. He is infinitely great. He is infinitely powerful and wise and beautiful and good and loving. And true joy, true peace, true satisfaction comes in beholding and worshiping him. Not beholding and worshiping ourselves or the positive outcome of our circumstances. Like if they shake out good, where if my circumstances are good, then life's awesome, if my circumstances are bad, then I'm crushed. No, 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 there's a true joy that goes beyond that. That's true regardless of the wishy-washiness of circumstances that come at us in life. But it's only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the great splendor of the universe. And so it's this Jesus and, and this Good news, that's what the word gospel means, that we've been submerged in all week long. Talking about the fact, and the kids can probably recite it. Let's try this. Kids, if you're listening, the three little Jesus sees, Jesus knows, and Jesus saves. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus saves. And it's those three things I want to take a couple of minutes 
and talk about with us this morning. We'll do it through the verse that they recited a few minutes ago, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Uh, You can look it up in your Bible, or we're going to pop it up here on the screen, so read it with me. Search me, God, and know my heart. I didn't really mean that, but that's great. We'll do that. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And so right there in that In that text, you see what we just talked about. It talks about Jesus seeing, it talks about Jesus knowing, and it talks about Jesus saving. All right, you see the word know twice in verse 23. You see the word see once there in verse 24. So what does Jesus know? What does Jesus say? See. What what, What does he know? What does he see? And in a word, everything. Everything, like, let that sink in for a minute. Everything. Jesus knows everything. He sees everything. The great big theological word for this is omniscient. He is omni, all, shunt, knowing. All knowing. Everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. Even in this Psalm 139, if you go back to verse 1, it talks about this. Lord, just listen to me. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've Place your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's death, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even The darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And so in his omniscience, he knows everything about you. Everything about you. He knows who you really are. He knows your worth. He knows you need a savior. He knows your purpose. He knows everything about you. On the one hand, because he created you. Like you just keep going in Psalm 139, verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And so he knows all things. He knows all about you. He created you 
And what the Bible just said right here is that regardless of the circumstances that brought you into the world, whatever they were, regardless of those circumstances, look right at me, the God of the universe made you on purpose. Individually. Knitting you together in your mother's womb. And He did this for all of us for His glory. That we might know Him. That we might worship Him. That we might walk in a beautiful rhythm as His people and He as our God. But there's a problem. And that problem is called sin. Because for all the amazing and comforting truth it is that God knows us. And he, he knows, verse 23, our heart. He knows, verse 23, our concerns. For all the warm blanket of the soul that that truth is, it also means that He knows our sin. He knows, verse 24, all the offensive ways that are in us. Myriads of them. In every one of us. Every one of us. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. There's not, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We are all sinners. We're all in this together. People are like, think church people sometimes think that there's good people and there's bad people. No, no, no. Church people say there's bad people and there's Jesus. We're all in the bad people. Jesus is the one good person. And through His life, death, burial, and resurrection, He can redeem us, make us new, give us a new life, forgive us of our sins, and give us eternal life in heaven. Everything we have, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. But we are all, you and me, sinners. That's the problem. Equally broken in our various ways. We have sins of omission where we fail to do good. We have sins of commission where we carry out uh, what is wrong. It's who we are. It's what we do. We're sinners by nature and choice. And so the question then is, how does God feel about that? How does God feel about our sin? And just to get specific... How does God feel about your sin? You gotta, how, how does God feel about my sin that I do, that I carry out? And that this is the hard truth. He hates it. He hates it. You see, we've already talked about the fact that God is loving, that God is good, that God is holy, that God is perfect, that He is sovereign, that He is righteous. And as such, he must and does have to hate all that's evil and wicked and sinful. If he didn't, he wouldn't be holy. If he didn't, he wouldn't be just. If he didn't, he wouldn't be loving. That's not a big deal. If he wouldn't, he wouldn't be good. And we all want that when it comes to Hitler. We want justice. We all want that when it comes to ISIS. We all want that when it comes to a child rapist. But then when it comes down to us, we don't want that. I'm not like those guys. Those are, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like them. And humanly speaking, yeah, I get that. You're not shooting up the nightclub. But God doesn't grade on a curve. His holy perfection 
demands a holy perfection. And we all fall bankruptly short of that. And so you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, God sees all, God knows all. God hates sin. That's the situation. But here's the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so God offers us what can truly only be described, John Newton got it right, as amazing grace. Grace that will save a wretch like me and you. Because we're all lost, but in Christ we can be found. We are all blind, but in Christ we can be given sight. Like This is the whole point of VBS. This is the whole point of the church. This is the whole point of life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into the world, the Son of God, born as a baby, and grew up and went to the cross. And on the cross, He, he, he went there in my place to pay for my sin, to, to, to pay the penalty that I owe. And knowing full well that we are all sinners, He knows everything, He sees everything, He gets that. Knowing full well all of that, that what we've sinned against Him, Knowing full well every bit of my wickedness, past, present, future, every evil deed, every lustful thought, every God-belittling moment in my life, knowing all of that, Jesus still chose to come after me and you. That's His love and His grace offered to anyone. And so Jesus came into this world and He lived the perfect holy life that we failed to live. Jesus did it for us. And then He died the death that we've all been condemned to die for our sin in our place as a substitute. He died it for us. Like all of the angry wrath of, of God against our sin that I deserve, you deserve, undeniably, absolutely and completely, Jesus took it for us in our place as a substitute. That's what happened on the cross. He was a substitute. He was paying the penalty that we owe. That's why I say often in here, on the cross, the Father treated Jesus as if He had lived your life so that He can treat you as if you had lived Jesus' life. The gospel is an exchange. Jesus takes our sin. He pays for it and He gives to us His perfect, righteous, sinless life. And because of that, we're clothed with that. Now we can stand before the Father holy and blameless. Not on the basis of anything that we do. But on the basis of what Jesus did. For us. That He gives in grace. All who will receive it. That's the good news. There's freedom. There's forgiveness. There's eternal life found in Christ. 
And because we do nothing to earn it, there's no room for anyone as a Christian to walk in self-righteousness or walk with a swagger. We didn't do anything. It's all about Jesus. He did it all. All to Him we owe. He paid it all. He lived a life of perfection, a life without sin. He died the death that we've been condemned to die, death for sin. And He rose to give us a gift we could never earn, forgiveness of sin. Jesus did this. And that's the everlasting way that verse 24 is talking about that we need to be led in. That's the everlasting way that that is spoken of here by the psalmist. That's the Jesus-saved portion of Jesus sees, Jesus knows, and Jesus saves. He does. He really, really does. That's why I do what I do. I had a perfectly good job with my degree from Georgia Tech. But I want people to know this. I want people to be saved. That's why 60-something people do VBS. He saves people. Not because we deserve it, because none of us do, but because He's gracious and good and loving and merciful. And He says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so the question that before us this morning is, especially in light of the fact that Jesus sees and Jesus knows and Jesus saves, is has Jesus saved you? Has He? Truly? Like, have you ever come to a point in your life where you, like, truly, from the heart, not just because other people did it, not just truly, from the heart, repented of your sin and asked Jesus to save you? Where you've received Him and trusted in Him and Him alone to be what could make you clean before the Father. Where you recognize, like St. Augustine did, that the whole reason your life has been restless is because your heart's never rested in Him. The great splendor of the universe. came after you with grace and love and mercy. So if you have not done that, do so today. There's not hoops you've got to jump through. There's not rituals to perform. There's not steps. You don't got to walk an aisle. Any of those. It's just a simple admission of your guilt and the fact that you cannot save yourself and a receiving of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repentance and faith. You can do that where you sit. Just silently pray. If you'd like to speak with the pastor, I'll be here. John will be here. You can grab us afterwards. We'll stay as long as it takes. We'll be out in the hallway. But wherever you're at, my prayer is that you would walk out and all week long your mind would be continually going back to the three simple statements that Jesus sees everything. He knows everything. And He'll save everyone who will repent and believe.
submerged in that great deep. To the glory of God and your own good. Please keep me holy in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this week. We thank you for these children that we've had a chance to, to, to hang out with this week and 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 talk to Jesus about and and hear what's going on in their lives and watch them sing and watch them laugh and watch them play and watch them create crafts. Thank you for our children. And we thank you. As, mu- as much as we thank you for them, we thank you even more for your son. Who in spite of our sinfulness, that if it was played on the screens up here, would lead us all to go running and screaming in shame out of this building. In spite of that, and you know it full well, Jesus, you still came and paid our price and offered forgiveness and freedom and life everlasting to all. So, Lord, anyone in here. Lord, I pray you would, who has not done that, I pray you would, by your Spirit, spark that in them, even now, and in the days to come. Thank you for your incredible gift. It's all about you.